You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. ISIS claims responsibility for Saturday's terror attacks in London. The UK reacts with strong words against terrorist safe spaces online. The Prime Minister wants restrictions on end-to-end encryption and a very hard line against extremist messaging. Hacking has diplomatic consequences for Bahrain, Qatar and the United Arab Emirates. India investigates a possible cyber attack against a fighter aircraft. Ransomware purveyors are also selling stolen data and Eternal Blue exploits remain active. I'm Dave Fittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, June 5th, 2017. ISIS had called for jihad during Ramadan, and sadly, terror returned to the UK this Saturday evening. ISIS was quick to claim credit, and in fact, its various online publications have called for car and knife attacks on civilians of the Crusader nations. UK Prime Minister May yesterday, in an Enough is Enough speech delivered at 10 Downing Street, exoriated Internet and social media providers for giving terrorists a safe space to recruit and inspire. She called for a purge of extremism in general and radical Islamism, in particular from cyberspace. The Prime Minister also advocated restricting the widespread availability of strong end-to-end encryption. Police are rounding up a suspected network for the attackers who drove into pedestrians on London Bridge and at Borough Market, then dismounted and slashed bystanders with knives. At least seven victims are reported dead and 48 injured. Police shot three attackers dead. Authorities continue to comb jihadist networks and media for clues. They had made 12 arrests by Sunday evening. The London attacks appear, unfortunately, to be additional instances of action by known wolves. One of the London Bridge terrorists had been reported to police some time ago for his efforts to radicalize children. Police, security, and public safety agencies worldwide moved to heightened alert. ISIS newspaper Al-Naba's Thursday issue had promised more attacks would be coming to the UK. Attacks have picked up during Ramadan, the Islamic holy month, which is expected to end June 25th with the sighting of the waxing crescent moon. Afghan police arrested a prospective suicide bomber believed ready to target a funeral. Afghan authorities say they have evidence that jihadist support networks afflicting that country are based in neighboring Pakistan. The Manchester terror bombing had already prompted more discussion in the UK about restricting encryption. Prime Minister May's Sunday reaction to the London attacks indicates that this will become a government priority. Apart from vandalism and defacement of soft-target websites, the terrorist threat in cyberspace has mostly manifested itself in information operations, not proper cyber attacks. The web affords extremists a propaganda, recruitment, and inspiration channel with very low barriers to entry. Countering those information operations assumes greater urgency after a massacre. Responses usually take the form of blocking, 
tighter surveillance, or counter-messaging. Blocking tends to strike public opinion as the most promising first response, but attempts by social media providers to filter content have shown blocking to be problematic. Not only does it seem practically impossible to disentangle interdicting extremist messaging from more obviously objectionable forms of censorship, but it's also just a lot harder than it looks. In Pakistan, to take one country's experience, more than 40 banned extremist groups operate with impunity on Facebook. And it's not just Facebook. People game and hijack Twitter, too, and that can have significant implications for information operations. On May 24th, Qatar news agency QNA published remarks favorable to Israel and Iran. QNA and the Qatar government say they were hacked and the remarks were a fabrication and provocation. But this morning, members of the Gulf Cooperation Council, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain and Egypt severed diplomatic relations with Qatar. On Saturday, Bahrain's foreign ministry saw its own Twitter account hijacked by hacktivists protesting Bahrain's crackdown on opposition groups. A group calling itself Global Leaks has told the Daily Beast it will soon release hacked emails belonging to the United Arab Emirates ambassador to the U.S. Global Leaks says the emails show attempts to manipulate public opinion in ways that are not to the U.S. advantage. As governments are targeted by phishing attacks, particularly in the run-up to elections or other sensitive periods, they may wish to devote close attention to the security of their web apps. NetSparker's CEO, Farah Mavituna, told us in an email that while government personnel and political campaign workers undoubtedly would benefit from training to recognize phishing, we also should incentivize more secure web application development. He argued, quote, there should be legal consequences of insecure web applications, especially in this day and age when everything is being shifted to web-based applications and services, or as everyone knows it, the cloud, end quote. In a disturbing development touching Internet of Things security, the Indian Air Force has convened a court of inquiry to investigate the crash of one of its Russian-built Sukhoi-30 fighters on May 23rd. It's disturbing because there seems to be a real possibility that a cyber attack on the aircraft's avionics may have contributed to bringing down the aircraft. One login disclosed a data breach last week, possibly compromising multiple passwords its users stored with the service. Experts still recommend password managers, but they're getting queasy over the possibility that such tools can constitute a dangerous single point of failure. The WannaCry ransomware may have largely run its destructive course, but the eternal blue exploits used to distribute the ransomware are still very much out there. FireEye reports that they're also being used to distribute the Ghost Rat Windows Trojan, and there are other reports of odd probes suggesting various threat actors may be seeking to use the leaked exploits to establish persistence in a wide range of networks, presumably in the service of some future campaign. Finally, researchers at Heimdall Security have found evidence that the purveyors of JAF ransomware have gone beyond extortion and are selling victims' data in dark web markets. Another reason, as if any more were needed, not to trust the word of cybercriminals when they hold you up for ransom. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI... 
The best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Uh, Dr. Clancy, welcome back. You know, we, we've seen uh, recently this story about um, the FCC rolling back uh, privacy regulations for ISPs. Uh, but there's an aspect of this that uh, you say is being underreported. Uh, indeed. So much of the current reporting around uh, the rollback of the FCC privacy regulations by Congress has focused on uh, the privacy aspect in particular. Uh, so, so for those that haven't been following the debate that closely, uh, there's basically two fundamental philosophies in how uh, consumer data should be protected. And the FCC's approach that they uh, came out with in October of last year uh, basically said that all con- Consumers had to opt in for their things like browsing history and uh, other online activity to be shared uh, with third parties. Uh, Whereas the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, has essentially had the philosophy that subscribers need to opt out. Both groups agree that uh, personally identifiable information, things like social security numbers, medical history, and credit cards, all of that needs to be protected regardless. Uh, But it's all this sort of lower tier uh, kind of activity that would be of interest to advertisers uh, that is in debate, with the FTC having this opt-out approach and the uh, FCC proposing an opt-in approach. And this sort of ran its course and ultimately ended in in Congress deciding to roll back the FCC's provisions in favor of the FTC's provisions. And I think it'll be interesting to see um, where this goes. The FCC and FCC have both agreed that they need to come together with to come up with some common framework and advance that in such a way that it uh, uniformly affects both the telecommunications broadband providers and the service providers like Google and Amazon and Facebook. Um, But in particular, the part I wanted to talk about was another part of that same FCC order that was actually rolled back a month earlier. Right after uh, the administration switchover, there's a a portion of the original FCC order uh, that covered cybersecurity regulations. Um, And in particular, it was going to require that broadband providers do things like do breach notification uh, and inform the FCC if they've been hacked. Um, and, and right now, publicly traded companies have to report when they've been breached to shareholders, uh, but only significant breaches. 
Uh, and so there's a lot of breaches that the, the members of the board of these companies decide are uh, don't quite pass the threshold because it would have an adverse impact on stock price. Mm. Uh, also, lots of smaller Internet service providers have, have no breach notification requirements at all. Um, so currently, telephony operators have to provide a notification to the FCC whenever there's an outage of telephony service. But there's kind of this loophole where a large telecommunications providers only have to report major breaches so they can elect to define things as, as not major and the small uh, non-publicly traded ISPs uh, don't have to report uh, intrusions at all. So this would have changed that and required mandatory reporting uh, to the FCC of, of breaches. Um, it also had an entire set of provisions around deployment of uh, risk-based management uh, frameworks for cyber protection, uh, things like the NIST cybersecurity framework uh, that we've all been hearing about over the last couple of years uh, within telecommunications critical infrastructure sectors. And sort of behind the scenes, uh, the FCC used a, a provision that allows an individual bureau to stay a portion of a, of a larger order without it having to go back to the full committee for vote. Um, and in March of, of this past, uh, March 2017, uh, the Wireline Competition Bureau actually stayed the cybersecurity regulations that were in this order. Uh, so not only have we seen a rollback of, of privacy, uh, which has debatable impact, uh, I'd say, across the entire sector, um, there's also been this cybersecurity uh, regulatory rollback as well. All right, Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. Struggling to secure on-prem apps with modern identity? Don't worry, you're not alone. Join industry leaders from Fortune 500 organizations to secure your apps on any cloud with any IDP, regardless of your environment's complexity. Meet Strata's identity orchestration platform, Mavericks. Say goodbye to the headaches of app refactoring and legacy tech debt. With Identity Orchestration, you can modernize legacy apps to use MFA or passwordless authentication in a few weeks, migrate from one IDP to another, and so much more without changing the app. No matter your IAM use case, Strata extends the value of your current identity investments. And the best part? You can try it for free today. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire to share your biggest identity challenge, and they'll hook you up with a complimentary pair of AirPods Pro. Don't miss out. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire. That's strata.io slash cyberwire. And that's The Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Hey, listeners. We're always looking for ways to improve the N2K Cyberwire network and maintain the intelligence-driven news experience that keeps you in the know on the latest developments in cybersecurity. We've launched our 2024 audience survey and would love for you to take a few minutes to share your feedback. And hey, there's even a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card if you complete the survey. Visit cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey and share your feedback now.